Hello and welcome to Creativity Uncovered. My name is Abby Gatling and um, I'm on a journey to uncover how everyday people find inspiration, get inventive and open their imagination. Basically, I want to find out how people come up with creative solutions and then how they use them at home, work, play and everything in between. And uh, my goal for this podcast is that by the end of it, you'll be armed with a whole suite of tried and tested ways to summon creativity the next time that you need it. Now, my guest today is someone who has made such an epic pivot in their career, um, moving from being a political lobbyist to becoming a hugely successful fantasy writer. Um, so today I'd like you to join me in welcoming all the way from the US, JV Hilliard. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. So now, JV, you have one of the coolest kind of career journeys that I have heard. <laughs> um <laughs> because now you seem to be like living the creative dream. And what I really love about your story is kind of that it's almost like a tale of yin and yang. Um, I mean, uh, from being a lobbyist to being a fantasy writer, <laughs> I can imagine that your life is hugely, hugely different now. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the best way to put it. Um, it's like left brain, right brain. And, you know, I, as you mentioned, I was a DC lobbyist for about 20 years. I focused primarily on defense lobbying and technology lobbying. So during that time, I was working on really what I would describe as very real things, uh, you know, providing for the common defense and promoting the general welfare and all the kind of stuff that you hear, you know, and dealing with in particular the Pentagon and the legislature and the White House um, for real everyday stuff. And then, you know, the gate swings open with COVID and DC shut down for almost 18 months. And so, it was an opportunity. The silver lining in, in the COVID experience for me was we were all stuck at home uh, and I had always wanted to write a book. And this was a way for me to kick something off of my bucket list. And then it, like you described, it became a career, right? It's something now that you know I've pivoted to in my everyday life. And for me, I don't want to look back. This is just a, so much fun. Uh, it's stress-free in many respects. And I enjoy doing shows like this, you know, conventions, book signings. Uh, I even go to book clubs and talk to people at libraries. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a great time and it's all about make-believe and it's the opposite of the realism. It's now escapism and entertainment. And for me, it's just been a lot of fun transitioning into this. And I'm glad it's become successful because, you know, it takes a while for authors to, to get that way so that you could be self-sustaining. And, you know, I'm, fortunate in the sense that I've I've had a, a pretty successful career and I'm able to bridge some of that uh till you know to the point where my books are you know becoming as relevant as they are within the space so uh, you know I I I'm happy I'm fortunate and I, and I don't want to look back <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool I mean and that's so great that you, you know you sort of touched on it that it is hard it is hard for authors to make it like you've got to have a certain amount of commerciality i suppose to be able to break into the wider audience sphere how how did you do that because from not having written anything to writing a book and then it being so successful make, being made into 
uh, do you say three or four book series? How did that happen? Well, in part, I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, uh, and I've owned several businesses in the past, uh, some of them much more successful than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, ultimately, you know, for me, I looked at my writing and my readership as an entrepreneurial endeavor. And what I mean by that is I know many authors look at it from the art side, and this is my art, and I'm going to put it out in the ether, and hopefully people like it, and if they don't, that's fine. It's something that I want to do, and I needed to get it out of me and share it with people. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, in fact, I respect that in me- you know, t- to some degree where that's exactly what this is all about, right? It's sharing a good story that entertains somebody. Mm. My part, the other part of my brain that's more strategic looked at it and said, well, look, if you're going to do this, you know, commit to doing a series, commit to getting to that third or fourth book where you can start making money at this, build a following, market it as best you can. And so therefore I've treated it like any of my other entrepreneurial endeavors, just like a business. So I'm out there marketing myself. Uh, You know, I'm doing shows like this. I'm doing, you know, like tomorrow I'm going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina for GalaxyCon, which is a big convention. My third book is launched tomorrow. So, and I've got a couple of speaking engagements at the convention and, you know, they have about 30,000 people come to those. But conversely, if you rewind till this past Sunday, I was at a local bookshop and I had three people, right? And it's just, <laughs> it's it's a it's a contact sport. Like you literally have to be in contact with people to sell stuff. And so even though... I had an hour slot at a used bookstore and I sold three books. I still went, right? And I did my social media around it. And I did preliminary stuff around it. And I, you know, sent out, you know, invitations to my 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 newsletter folks that I that I knew that were in the area. And, you know, but it was a nice summer day here. And, you know, you're just you know, on a Sunday coming out to a book. Hey, if this was like November, maybe here and it was a wintery then uh, maybe, yeah, I'll go to the bookstore and see the guy. But everybody was out at the park doing whatever, enjoying their summertime. And it just wasn't a right fit. But tomorrow's different. You know, I go into a weekend where I'm going to be running into 30,000 people. And it's just that general contact. And and I think authors, too, have a tendency to be introverted. And if you can't tell in the first five minutes of this interview, I'm anything but introverted. So for <laughs> me, I you know I'll stop people that aren't even looking at my table and I'll ask them questions. I'll try to get them engaged. And it's the salesmanship of that. I think that, you know, I, I kind of bring to this, which also helps to advance the sales of the books. But to your point, you have to good, have to good. I mean, the product has to be good, right? So people have to like the story, you know, and so it was a matter of writing a strong story and coupling that with the right kind of marketing effort and, you know, finding the right publishing folks that are working with me and the marketing folks that are working with me to make it, make it all worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. So, well, I mean, congrats on the third book. That's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And that's an interesting approach to it because, um, you know, some people lead with their creativity and other people lead with saying, uh, you know, if I'm going to be creative, it's got to be purposeful. Um, and you know, the way you sort of approach it, be like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it really well. (laughs) So I don't have to go back to being a lobbyist basically. Right. So, yeah. I mean, the lobbyist stuff is it's a tough business. It's uh, you have to have a thick skin. Uh, people don't like you. Uh, it's zero sum game. It's us versus them all the time. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you one example of. Uh, and so during my former day job, if I were to be on a show like this, I would have prepped for it for two days. 
literally i would have known everything about my opponent they would have known everything about me the 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 host of the show would have come at me with some sort of point counterpoint or some gotcha moment trying to get me to say something that i shouldn't say on the air when i did my first interview like this was on a podcast and the host asked me the question so what season of the of the year do you like writing in the most and it was at that point the light bulb went on and it was like wait a minute are, are you trying to help me like what's going on here i wasn't used to it i was i was waiting for the gotcha moment and it never came and he was like no no i want to try to advance what you're doing here i want this you know this is great and you know so when that hit i you know you just the the i the momentum started and i was like wait a minute this is fun and entertaining and zero pressure and this is just going to be great so and, and and at that point you know about a third of the way through COVID, i was like all right well let's let's go if i'm in i'm all the way in and that's what i did and and so it's been a lot of fun the ride's been great and I, you're right i don't want to go back <laughs> <laughs> oh i mean that's so cool I, I love that sort of juxtaposition of you know your previous interviews and, and time now when you're in the creative space i i really think um creativity is such a is such a connector and it can be such a positive thing i've certainly experienced that through even just this podcast, you get someone on to talk about creativity, their whole face lights up um, and you can't get them to stop talking about it. <laughs> so, Oops, sorry. I'll yes. limit my, my responses. I'm used to that anyway, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this isn't a gotcha moment. Don't you worry. <laughs> so let's, I mean, let's take a little step back because yeah. um, the type of writing that you do is epic, dark fantasy right what what i mean i'm not hugely familiar in that space tell me tell me what is that sure so like many literature genres um there's plenty that fit into fantasy adventure and the standard fantasy adventure thing is kind of like conan the barbarian that's that in my world would be called sword and sorcery right mm -hmm. epic fantasy is much more like lord of the rings and what that is it's typically longer novels with a series behind them and then behind that you've got an entire world built out it's just not a one shot where you're coming in and i'm going to learn about this story and then it ends you're you've got a political system and on top of that political system you have an economic system and then you've got a, a history of the realm so if you look at what lord of the rings had done you know and you put yourself in the shoes of either frodo or bilbo the story of what had happened was really a thousand years before with Sauron, right? And Galadriel and all the stuff that, like the prequel stuff was already there. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that we write. We write things that have a history and we have a, you know, we write things that have a future and you're living in a snapshot of that period. And typically there's something epic about it, right? So you either have, you know, massive amounts of struggle between political uh, machinery or, you know, in, in the case of, Lord of the Rings, you have the return of this ultimate evil. Uh, and the dark stuff comes in. It's it's more, you know, my writing style is more like Lord of the Rings meets Dracula, right? Like I mm. I incorporate the the gothic into it. My monsters are all unique. Uh, I don't, even though I borrow inspiration from some, like what I would describe as standard myths of like the Nordic, you know, traditions or 
Native American tradition or some Asian traditions, you know, for the most part, they're recognizable, but I've got this skin around them that makes them unique in my world. Uh, and But people can identify with them as part of that. And so you see the scary side of this. And so it's it's a mix between what I would describe as Tolkien and that Gothic in the hopes of bringing some of that horror into into my epic fantasy. And so maybe it's closer to Lord of the Rings than it, or excuse me, more closer to like to Game of Thrones than it is Lord of the Rings. But, you know, epic, you know, fantasy is, is you know, you can cut both ways on that one. Yeah, wow. I love that there are genres and then subgenres and subgenres and <laughs> you can get more and more niche and there's an you audience know for it. that. You wouldn't know it. Like I didn't know there was a difference between a young adult reader and a new reader and a new reader to an adult reader. Like a YA is someone 13 to 17, a new reader is someone that's 17 to 20, you know, and um, then you've got adult readings at 21 and up. And so you're targeting, it's even age, it's crazy, but it's true. Uh, and so folks, you know, target a, a niche that they uh, uh, they want to write to. And and this was one that I, I've always wanted to write to. So is, has it been a real learning journey for you to find out about these genres and the age groups and all that sort of stuff? It, it, has that been a learning journey for you as well? It has. You know, one of the reasons that I chose to go the traditional publishing route was because as a business person, you know, there's an old saying in betting, which is if you don't know the horse, you don't make the bet. And I didn't know the publishing market at all. And for me to step into a marketplace and try to start a new business in my head, think of that. That's what I was trying to do here was this. I saw this as a business with me being the brand and my my books being the product. You know, I knew if I was coming into this market, I needed someone next to me that knew what they were doing. Uh, and so I didn't want to be an indie author. I wanted to be traditionally published. So I had a you know, even though that meant I was taking less royalties, but I had a partner that knew what she was doing. And in this case, Dragon Moon Press became that for me. And I learned more about the industry, which has allowed me to then make the right kind of business decisions on where I go and what I do and how I promote. And typically it's alongside of her. Now, some things, you know, I might want to do that she doesn't want to do, and and that's okay too. And then that comes out of my own pocket, but then I get all the the victor to the victor goes the spoils or i lose my money right depending on what what dice i'm rolling that day but you know it has been a tremendous learning experience and it's drinking from a fire hose really this industry is one that's been around for ages and they some of them are you know these traditional publishing houses are steeped in their traditions and it's really hard to break them from that and i just have one that is a little bit more agile and you know what i would describe as a niche uh, publishing house that focuses on my genre that understands my marketplace really well. And, you know, I, I, I fell into it and same thing with my editors. You know, I got the right editors to be part of this that understand the genre, know what my readers expect. My beta readers know what my readers expect because they read my stuff all the time. And so, you know, writing is really a team sport. It's just not me sitting in a coffee shop somewhere writing. It's really a group of people that are helping me hone my product to make it the best it, it can be to the benefit of not only the reader, but also to the business side of things. Yeah, I love that. Is <laughs> that writing is a team sport. And it's true <laughs> though. It's I think like with any endeavor, you know, you can focus on the things that you're good at and outsource to people who know more than you. <laughs> That's certainly how my business works, you know. <laughs> I work with people who are busy every day focusing on their professional services 
leave the marketing to me. I'm doing this day in, day out. So I, I mean, I guess that makes sense in, in writing as well. Oh, well said, you know, in this, in my previous business, it was the same way people hired me because they didn't know how to navigate the government marketplace, you know, and the same thing would hold true. If you're not going to walk into court without a lawyer, uh, or you're not going in front of, you know, uh, in the U S the internal revenue service without an accountant. Right. So you just find someone that you know knows what they're doing. In this case, I needed a publishing team, an editorial team, and a team of folks that really had a, a, a domain expertise that was around fantasy adventure, sci-fi, dystopian stuff that you read, like Hunger Games. Because a lot of that stuff is translatable. Like if you're a fan of Star Wars, you're likely also a fan of Lord of the Rings or you know, same thing holds, you know, there's just a number that, you, that you're just open-minded to that type of thing. And you might not be a romance reader or the romance reader is, so I'm not going to go to a romance publisher and, and ask them to help me publish my fantasy book. You know, so I found someone <laughs> that was in my, my very narrow lane yeah. and she helped me to, to grow it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to go further down the Game of Thrones route, but a bit, bit more sexy times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's crazy. I mean, it's um, it's interesting to me that you sort of have started with a passion for writing and fantasy, but then really quickly focused on the business side of things, um, which I think is a really smart move because you know you obviously have an end goal in mind and you want to get there as quick as possible. But how do you how do you switch back between that business side and the creative side? and getting back into the writing. Yeah, I think that someone like me, I, I used the term left brain, right brain before. Um, you know, I am to some degree mentally ambidextrous when it comes to that. I really enjoy the writing, the creativity side. And in part that comes from, you know, 20 years of playing Dungeons and Dragons and being a creative. I was a dungeon master for many of our group's, you know, campaigns as part of the that that uh that playtime and you know we still haven't stopped the same group that i played with in high school and in college we still get together on sunday nights six to ten uh regardless of our our wives or husbands we put that stuff aside and you know and still play and it, I, that fuels the creative side and it, and, and for a while it, it it it's it sated that for me i didn't i didn't need that because i was getting that as an outlet and then COVID happened and you know, that really provided me with the opportunity to say, all right, well, now I've got my days free. It's just not Sunday, six to 10. How do I take this creative side and put it on steroids and really kind of rev it up and throw some rocket fuel on it? Right. And that's what I did. And then once you have that product and you think you have a good book, you you have to market it. Because if you look at Amazon, for example, Amazon has tens of thousands of new books each month, you know, and if you're not out there, marketing like everybody else is you're just going to get lost in in a in the tsunami of of new work that's coming out you have to differentiate yourself and part of that is the sweat the sweat equity right that's the elbow grease that you put into it and so it's it's doing these calls at crazy hours at night and or you know you know getting on the road and 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 or you know going to you know a used bookstore and only selling three books each book means that you got a new reader and you're capturing something you know, a new email address that you can reach out to for the next one. And you just have to build your base like you would any kind of startup business. And so, you know, maybe it's because that was easy for me to fall back on. I understood those protocols and rubrics and all that kind of stuff as, as a business owner. But 
the creative side was like, wait a minute, this is so much fun. This is not me marketing my services in DC. This is really me marketing me and this cool story that I wrote. Uh, and that's, I think that's, that's been a lot of fun for me and an experience I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade in. I mean, this is really, it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's it. Like if you do something and you're proud of your work, you want to get it out there. It, it makes perfect sense to me that you're doing that. But then again, I am a marketer. So <laughs> it's definitely playing into See? my business. <laughs> No, but you get it. Hey, do yeah. you need a client? I'm looking for a marketer. <laughs> I need to beef up my Australian market a little bit. Oh, you will talk after. I will talk after. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that's interesting that you mentioned Dungeons and Dragons again. It's not something I'm hugely familiar with, but from what I understand, that a, a huge part of it is storytelling and creating a whole new world. It's it seems. Uh, now you've said that it kind of really makes sense that you've kind of gone down this track now because you've been doing it since high school. You said, mm -hmm. mm. "Yeah, for me, uh, you're right about Dungeons and Dragons. For those that have never been engaged in role playing games or, you know, cosplay games or live action role plays, you know, those are those are groups of people that are suffering from group delusions, right? Like, so <laughs> I as the dungeon master." You know, just imagine yourself sitting around a campfire and I'm telling you a horror story. Like it's it's a verbal communication of a story. And sometimes it's with body language. Sometimes it's with tone. Those same kind of things are baked into your writing, right? When when you sit down and you open um, my first book and you flip to the prologue and you start reading it, there's a tone in there that's set as part of that. And part of, and, and I think a lot of that comes from my experience as a dungeon master and or a player in the game where I'm sitting there creating a story and for the next three or four or five hours, you're playing along with it. Right. And, and it becomes like real life past experience. I, I mean, it's a funny story. I mean, I joke around with my wife about it. Like we'll be at a, a like a Christmas party with our friends and all the D and D folks are sitting in a corner talking about stuff that never really happened in real life, but how great <laughs> it was at laughing at stories. And everybody else is standing there saying, "What are you guys? What's going on?" Like, but it's a story that you all lived, and so it's kind of been game tested, you know. And so taking the best of the the game stuff that we did and putting it into a story, smoothing it out, you know, it's easy for it to be liked. I think because it's. It's already been battle tested. People have been through it and you've seen what people have liked and you saw what they didn't like. So you throw out the bad stuff and you keep the good stuff, including characters that you've made, plots that you've had, villains that you've created, monsters that just came out of nowhere. And you get these arch villains and you're like, oh, this would make a really, really good story. And so that's really where it came from. Yeah. I, I, stories and shared experiences are such great connectors. And it seems like your your books have really hit a chord with people. Is your would you say that there's a um, crossover between people who play D and D and people who read your your books? Oh, without a doubt. You know, that's the first thing I hear when I'm around uh, the public, whether I'm giving a speech somewhere or I'm selling, you know, books and stuff like that. Those that have read it can say that. I when I'm reading your battle scenes, I feel like I'm playing the game or wow. there's definitely a role playing aspect. I can tell I was going to guess that you play D&D because &D I feel it when I read your stuff and or the characters <laughs> that are part of it, too. So there are some traditional tropes you can get away with, like 
elves, you know, like Tolkien used elves, D&D uses elves. So they're kind of ubiquitous. So I'm allowed to use my own kind of elf. You know, I'm just not a use, I can't use the term Middle Earth or, you know, Faerun or, or Forgotten Realms because they belong to someone else. So mine is the, the realm of Warminster. And I just introduce these twists on, you know, tropish kind of characters uh, that make sense. And you take them through a hero's journey or you take them through another kind of of you know a plot that you want to and it is you know and i i've been able to use that and mix those things together in a way where i think my readership especially those that have played role-playing games and i'm not talking about just role-playing games like dnd i'm talking about you could be playing a video game these days there are there are all sorts of video rpgs out there or you know there's an entire genre of lit RPG, literature RPGs, where they you're they're writing stories about how they played a game on a video game, you know. Wow. And there's it's just it's crazy, but I'm telling you, it's it's just a lot of fun, and I'm glad people do that. I had someone up come up to me at the last convention I was at, and said, "Your books are like D and D on crack," you know. And I was like, <laughs> "That's pretty cool." I think. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you, the most it's the most flattering stuff when people comes when they come up and say that to you. Um, or they bring you some fan art or they send you something in the in in an email that kind of you know it, it really like something that touched them or motivated them and you're looking at this this portrait that they've drawn that looks exactly like the character you described and said man like we've never met you read my stuff and you came up with that and that's like a police sketch artist of exactly what that character looks like and you just you feel you're humbled by it in, in that sense and, and and it energizes me to write more and more stuff because I know that I'm, I'm, I'm having the effect of entertaining people. Some entertained so much that they're, they're doing, they're taking time out of their schedules to do that for me and to seek me out at a convention or a book signing. And I, I don't know how you couldn't be humbled if someone did that. I mean, and, and that kind of gives me the energy to do the next and the next and the next. Yeah. Wow. That is a very cool experience. I, I actually was watching a webinar the other day and it was talking about video trends and things like that. And and it was an interesting part in it where they talked about the levels of fandom and, you know, the different levels of engagement. And when people start taking your work and inserting a little bit of themselves into it through creating fan art, um, writing their own, you know, mini stories based on it, um extrapolating on a character that's a really high level of fandom it's such an achievement that people are doing that based on your books that's a that's super humbling i can imagine yeah i try to put as much of that online as i can i use it in my social media people can find their fan art on my website uh you know i try to honor that because it it, it does it makes you feel good that you that you affected someone with your story so much that they went out of their way uh to create something else off of it i've even had people ask me if they can write you know fan fiction on it and i keep telling them like you can't let me finish the first series before you start on on fan fiction it just doesn't doesn't work that way you don't know how it's going to end so how, how are you going to write fan fiction on it but it's, <laughs> it's it's really kind of humble or or when someone comes up and says please don't kill this character or this is my favorite character and, and you're just stunned that that you, they've taken a minor character that's that i've used as comic relief or like one of the bad guys henchmen and they love it you know and they're excited about it and you know and for me you know uh, you know like i said i try to honor that and you know people i even had one guy at the last convention i was at make a baseball card of me uh he has 
like literally I've seen, you know, collectors of cards and they keep them in their, you know, their big folios and plastic. And, and if he likes a book, he takes the author's official photo, turns it into a baseball card, and then he brings it for you to sign. And then he sticks it in his book and he keeps it like wow. he collects photo. You want to talk about humbling. I was like, oh, that's a really cool idea. Having no idea that it was coming up for me to sign one. I thought he was just showing me the, hey, look what I've got. And he's like, no, no, can you sign this? You know, wow. and you're just like, holy cow. And it's just so much fun. And that's what I mean. It's like that entertainment piece. You just, you can't beat that. It just, you're so glad when you can entertain somebody. That's cool. I just, while you're saying this, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, this is so many, so many miles away from DC, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Just crazy. Like you, that would never happen. In D Everybody in DC would talk about your behind your back. Yeah, right. Yeah. And here it's like, you know, and they're looking for weaknesses where here it's like, how can I help you? Or I want you to come on my show and promote you. Or can, you know, can I get you to sign this for my son or daughter? It's like, yeah, it was just, just miles away from it. Like you said. Yeah. 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 You've switched um, voodoo dolls for baseball cards. <laughs> <laughs> Well oh, said. I'm going to use that and not give you credit down the road, by the way. <laughs> Clearly 100% from me. Yes. <laughs> uh, we record a box pop later so you can say it again. But yeah. <laughs> so tell me, you, you mentioned games before. Your book is actually being made into a, a game of some sort. Is that right? That's right. I licensed the intellectual property of my first four novels to a an augmented reality, virtual reality video game company called Melderverse. Huh. And in late 2024, the augmented reality game will come out. And in late 2025, the VR version of it will come out. And for those of you who have played Pokemon Go on your phones, you know what AR is, right? So instead of catching a Pokemon, you're going to be able to use your phone to capture rewards in a game where you're creating your own avatar and slaying the dragon, but there's going to be real life rewards as well as, you know, leveling up rewards in the game. So your character will level up and gain experience and, and hit points and powers and all that kind of stuff. But as part of the dragon's treasure or whatever it might be, you're also going to be able to earn real world points, which is, you know, a buy one, get one at Starbucks or a buy one, get one at your local Delhi or whatever it might be, whoever's sponsoring those things in there. And so they've partnered with the company that owns Pokemon Go uh, called Niantic uh, to kind of create the skeleton of this. And then Melderverse is coming in and wrapping around, you know, putting the meat on the bone. And my storyboarding is helping them kind of, you know, navigate the uh, the plot lines and things like that, stay, you know, within the confines of the realm, but understanding that they're obviously going to have to make it different because you know, the representations of the characters are going to be different. They're going to be live as opposed to in your imagination and things like that too. And, you know, sometime in 2024, I might also have a graphic novel series that's beginning. We're in the first stage, early stages of that adaptation. So we'll, we'll see where that goes too. But I, I get that a lot is like, oh, your book should be a comic. They're so rich. They're so graphic that you need to turn this into a comic book. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, or I'm halfway down that road. So well, not there yet. I don't have a publisher for it, but I've got a team that I'm putting around for it. And it's uh, excited about getting that done. Wow. I can't believe all the different avenues you can go down with this and how you can translate your book into so many different formats. It's unbelievable. It's just a whole new world I've never even thought about. Yeah. You know, the question you get a lot is, you know, is it ever going to be made a movie or is it going to be a Netflix series or whatever it might be? 
And that's what you hear a lot. You never hear is your book going to be turned into a video game, <laughs> you know, or, or am I going to see this in my local comic book store? Uh, and, you know, you just take the opportunities as they come to you. And, you know, if that helps it one day to, you know, to sell more And it, again, it's, 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 a, I'm honored that someone would see my books as a as strong enough to support a video game audience. And that, you know, the, the kind of, you know, battles and challenges in the in the novel that they read translate well into the same kind of thing for for gamers. And, you know, it, it makes sense when you think about it. Um, so, yeah, of course, I'm going to take advantage of that if I can. And and then my my art fought, finds another medium, uh, in this case, maybe two. Uh, yeah. So we'll see where that goes down the road. But I'm I'm excited just to be part of it. And I'm honored that someone would think my stuff's worthy of that. Yeah, it, I think. Um... Like your writing is so rich, the vocabulary is so interesting. I it must be very typical of fantasy writing, but surely um, translating into other mediums—that's kind of a hard process to make sure that you're still capturing the essence of it all when you're stripping out like ninety percent of the words. Yeah, it's tough, right? Like you're going from a very imaginative playground to one that is visual whether it is in a comic book, like you said, where you're taking what might be an entire chapter uh, and putting it into a couple of pages, all graphically done. And it's that illustration that carries the story as opposed to the words. And, you know, you mentioned way in the beginning of this interview that, you know, when you don't know what you do, you find someone that, that does and you bring them on as part of your team, you sub that out. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. I, I couldn't ever put together a graphic novel. I wouldn't even know where to begin for that, but I've got people that can, and, you know, they're going to partner on this to, to make that happen. Or the same thing with the, the video game. You know, I'm not a technologist. I can't do augmented reality, but they know their, their realm. And so I'll be there to, to assist, but I'm also, I'm also uh, self-aware enough to know when I need to get out of my own way. Like, I'm not going to tell them how to, to, to make their own game or make their own graphic novel. They know their industry. I don't. So mm -hmm. I'll stay here and just call me when you need me. And as long as it's not outside of reason that you want to change some things, I'm usually pretty easygoing when it comes to that and realizing you're just adapting it and it's not the same, but it doesn't have to be. It just has to be something that's, again, entertaining. Someone you know, wanted to see it and, oh, this is what Ritter looks like, or this is what Adeline looks like, and, or at least from my eyes, what they should look like. And then they, you know, and that helps to, to inform the reader. Yeah, I can only imagine that you're describing you're describing your characters and the environment and all this way. And then when someone else comes up with an interpretation of it, a visual interpretation, it it could be jarring or it could enhance what you already had in your brain. Like I remember, I know when I've, I've when I've read books and then I've watched the movie, the first part, you're like, oh, that's not what they look like. But then you really quickly adapt to it and you're like, yeah, of course, I bet that's what they look like. <laughs> yeah, right. And I look, you don't ever want me drawing anything. It's bad. <laughs> it's like stick figure bad. So for me, I appreciate their art form and I think they appreciate mine. And so if I could help them. Like, and they'll just, it's basically like an interview. They sit down and say, well, tell me about this character. What does he or she look like? And, you know, and you give them the, you know, the, the parameters of it. And they come back with like profiles and costumes and what their weapons look like and, and what they may look like in different stages of their life. And I didn't even know that was a thing. And meanwhile, there's like five pages of iterations of what these characters will look like during the course of the story. 
And you're like, oh, that's pretty good. I never thought of it that way. You wow. know, because in your head, like your characters don't age or there's just something about them that they're always going to be the same person. And really, in the end, you know, they've already taken that into account in this new form. And you're like, wow, that's really good. I hadn't thought about it that way. Wow. Uh, and, you know, you just have to respect their talent and, and get out of their way. Like, I'm not, I don't have the ego to stand there and wave my finger at them and say, that's not what I wanted. You know, no. Yeah, if you're close, you're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you think what they're coming up with is is um shaping how you're gonna progress with your next books? Oh, sure. You know, it gives you thought, like by way of example, when I did the first storyboard for the video game, you realize the limitations of it. Like in the book, there are no limits. You know, I'm creating this sweeping realm and it's just me writing it and it doesn't really happen anywhere it's all happening imaginatively and you can everybody creates it differently in their head that's why i think that when people go see movies after they've read the book they always say the book was better well of course it was because it was exactly the way you pictured it in your head right and in the movie it's an interpretation of through someone else's eyes and their optics on things and it's limiting you know there's there are no words to accompany it so they have to they inject music and intention and you know and and all sorts of other things to to get you to you know to emote in that way where you're, you're now you're feeling a connection with those characters uh, but it's never as good as the book because the book is exactly how you conjured it in your head and they're doing that from scratch using my interpretations to put together a game or a graphic novel. And so you have to you coach them as best you can. But like I said, as long as you get in the ballpark, you know, that's going to be good enough for me. I don't want to tell them what they need because they they know what those limitations are. And, you know, so I'd be more, I, I'm, I'm a willing uh, collaborative when it comes to those kind of things. And, and, and uh, I try to stay out of their way. Yeah, that's cool. It sounds like you've got such an exciting future and a whole bunch of things lined up um <laughs> so uh thank you for sharing a little bit of that with me today been my pleasure and thank you very much uh for having me on i i uh enjoyed i mean look i i do a number of these things and you some of the stuff we talked about tonight i haven't talked about before so you asked some very cool questions and i appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> oh no look it was such it's such a good news story I love when people just find an in and follow their passions and so I really appreciate you sharing with me and, and my listeners today and um I also want to thank you uh thank everyone who has tuned in to creativity uncovered today because I really hope that um JV story has inspired you to sort of chase your dreams and um, because they don't have to remain just a fantasy. Oh, little pun there Ooh, for you. <laughs> that's two for you tonight. That's really good. I can't help myself. I got I gotta end the recording before now. <laughs> so um thanks everyone. And as always, I really hope that this episode um helps you some new creativity the next time that you need it. If you've made it this far, a huge thank you for your support and tuning into today's episode. 
Creativity Uncovered has been lovingly recorded on the land of the Cubby Cubby people, and we pay our respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This podcast has been produced by my amazing team here at Crisp Communications, and the music you just heard was composed by James Gatling. If you liked this episode, please do share it around and help us on our mission to unlock more creativity in this world. You can also hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episode releases.